Thanks, worship team. Let's give them some encouragement. Eh? Come on, come on. Yeah. Bless you guys. Do you know my... Um, I think I'll be all right, I think. My, my dad had little feet. And I've got little feet. My dad was quite small and I'm quite small. My dad lost his hair. And I'm believing for a miracle. No, I lost my hair. And... Uh, my dad had a little kind of wart thing on the back of his neck just here. And I've got one. Isn't that weird? And then I was thinking about this this morning. I, 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 I quickly realized it doesn't take a genius to work it out, does it? But I'm like my dad. <laughs> I know my brain works at breakneck speed, I can tell you. And it's... Um, it's always being challenged to work out these complicated things. The heart of Jesus' response to us is that we'd be like our dad. That's the heart of his response. He came representing a father so that we, so that we would be like our dad. Isn't it great? And, and when Jesus' blood was shed for us and we became participators of that, when we, when we ate his flesh and we drank his blood and we became participators, the DNA of our Father flows through our bones. Now, I'm sure God hasn't got a wart on the back of his neck. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Hear me good. Hear me good. But then... As a son, I have to represent a father. Is that not true? (laughs) The best way to represent a father is to become more like my father. And you become a true representation. This is deep. You become a true representation of the father. Come on. I've been um, kind of got this little revelation thing. I'm going to come on to the scripture in a minute, but I got this little revelation thing this week that I've been trying to work out. Maybe you could help me. Don't send me emails, though, but you could help me. Because I've been, I've, I've been uh, challenged this week with the understanding of this, that every day is a Sabbath day. Yeah. So in Corinthians it says we enter into, it says that Jesus is our Sabbath day and we enter into Jesus so every day is a Sunday. Or a Saturday. Or a Friday. Doesn't really matter what your Sabbath day is. And I was challenged, God was challenging me to, to, to understand what true Sabbath is and it's not a place of inactivity. That's not what true Sabbath is. But that we've entered into the Sabbath rest. He was showing me a bit this week where, because where, I said to God, 
Because God worked seven days and on the seventh he, he rested. What, what I was hit with was he didn't start creating again on Monday. That what he'd set in place continually is creating. But he didn't go back to Monday and go, let's create something else. He finished what he'd created and he entered into eternal Sabbath. He entered into eternal rest. He'd, he'd, he'd created all he'd created. And the challenge I had this week was understanding through the place of work and through the, the things that we do every day that we do that stuff from a place of Sabbath. That's easy to say that. But most of us tomorrow will put our work head on and we'll start work. And God's challenge to us is that every day is a Sabbath. <laughs> I haven't quite got it sussed, but I'm enjoying the ride. I have released the, pro the prophets. I was going to say the prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly came out the wrong way there. Note to self, don't read the notes while speaking. Um, if you are a prostitute, I'll release you as well. Um, but we've released the prophets today. I knew when I was doing this, I thought, this is going to be crazy. Um, we're starting a new series on the minor prophets uh, today. And um, I, I, was, I got Hosea, and that's where we're going to go. I'm going to not do a huge expanse on this, but I'm going to try and share just one or two things. I've tried to tie it right back down. The depth, the depth that's in this Old Testament book is incredible absolutely incredible the picture of God's love in this book if you haven't read it go home and read it it is a love story it's a massive picture of God's love and the pursuit of you that he has there's one thing to say God's loving you it's another thing to understand he's pursuing you into love he's pursuing you he's coming after you <laughs> so the story today as I say I've released the prophets they might walk around they might come and tell me they've got a word that's absolutely fine we're not going to get too disturbed by that well I'm not anyway so the minor prophets does not mean that they were little people <laughs> they're not that they didn't sing songs in a minor key I've worked that one out not that either and it certainly doesn't mean that their message was minor the message was not minor. But poor Hosea. So Isaiah, he got to see the throne room of God. Can you imagine that? Ezekiel, he got to see dead bones come alive. Wow. Come on. Daniel got to interpret dreams. Jonah got to see thousands saved. Zechariah saw visions of flying scrolls and olive trees, and women with wings. I'm excited about that. Maybe it's not the women and the wings thing, but the rest of it sounds good. Hosea, 
got to marry a prostitute and to have kids with her. And that's his story. That the call of God on his life was to marry a prostitute. Who wants to be a prophet? <laughs> Hosea 1 and verse 2 says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to me. Whoa. <laughs> Starts off nice and easy for him, doesn't it? <laughs> God wanted this prophet not just to say stuff, but that his life would be a prophecy to the nation. Now that's a huge challenge. Prophets will come, prophets will speak, prophets will leave. That's been my experience of prophets. Not all of them, excluding Mark and his team, of course. But they'll come and they'll drop a huge word on you, and then they're off. There you are. See you later. I'm off. And you're left with this sometimes huge thing to try and work out. This was a different prophet. This prophet was committed. His life was committed. His life was committed so much that he would... Can you imagine what it, what it would be? Listen, we need to establish something. When I'm talking about promiscuous woman or prostitute, there's no disrespect kind of in, in towards that. All right, I'm not, I'm not dissing that in a wrong way. Okay, so we just need to understand that. I was going to tell you at this point that I know a couple of prostitutes, but I thought that wouldn't go down too well. Um, but I do know a couple of prostitutes. That doesn't go down too well on tape. Cut. Cut. Um, so it was more than a tag in a Bible. It was a life that God had asked them to wear. So he had three kids. His first kid was named Jezreel. Get hold of this. Meaning the judgment of God is coming. <laughs> Second, he had a girl. And her, her name was No Mercy. And then he had another boy. And uh, his name was You're Not My People. Wow. We don't see many Christian families calling their sons and daughters this, do we? <laughs> but here he is. And kids, kids in, the, in the Bible are hugely, hugely important. And the names of kids are hugely important. You know, when I read this, I thought about the kids a bit. And I thought, can you imagine walking around with a name like that for the rest of your life? I mean, this is, this is God speaking in and He's going, do you know what? My judgment's coming. You've got no mercy. And you're not my people. Now, we can see that in a way that's going, oh, God's coming. Or, oh, God's coming. You see, He was trying to win His people back. He was trying to tell them that actually the life that they think is good for them is not good for them. And, and it's a false life. And it's not full of life. It's full of death. And he's trying to win them back. 
So here's this prophet, the poor guy, and he, he marries a, a prostitute, or a, and, then, and then he has kids. They reckon one of those kids wasn't his, but I couldn't quite get that from the Bible, but they reckon one of the kids wasn't even his. And, and here's this guy, and, and the call of God on his life is such a thing that he must walk down the street every week in shame in a sense of what people will be projecting onto him. He wouldn't feel ashamed because he knew it was a call of God on his life. But people would have been looking on and whispering and talking. And do you know what his son's called? Do you know what his daughter's called? In chapter 2, it says that his wife returns to her old job, shall we say, selling herself for money. But when she comes home, wow, when she comes home, Hosea would buy her gifts and leave them for the next morning. So she'd be out working and she'd come home to find some wine or some grain or she'd come home to find some, some oil and silver and gold. Hosea would build up a, 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 a pile of thorns on the, on the track on the way down to, to where she would go to do her business. She would, he would pile it with thorns to try and prevent her from going back into that lifestyle. What does this all speak of? You see, she took those gifts and she offered them to Baal. So here's this guy, he's doing everything God asked him to do. It almost feels like he's become a doormat, doesn't it? But what he's trying to do is he's trying to demonstrate something that's not of this world. He's trying to demonstrate covenant relationship. And she took his presents and she, and she offered them to the gods of the day. God wants to win his people back. In, in chapter 2 and verse 14 it says, Therefore, I am now going to Aluha. I love that word, Alu. I'm going to Aluha. I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. <laughs> this is all about a love relationship that God wants for us. In chapter 2, 19, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Let me just say one statement that I want you, I'll come back to it later, but I want you to keep it in your mind. Religion says, religion says, that if we change, God will love us. God says, my love will change you. There's a massive shift between those two things. And the majority of Christians are wanting to change so that they win God's approval and love for them. And I don't know about you, but it's not a very successful way of doing it. But when we allow God's love, His covenant love, to impact our hearts, we change. We change. We really do. Huh. Hosea said again in chapter 2, 23, I will plant her for myself in the land. And I will show my love to the one I called not my love. Sorry, this is God speaking. He says, I will plant myself in the land 
and I will show my love to the one I called not my love. I will say to those who are called not my people, you are now my people. And I will say, I am your God. <laughs> Mercy, restoration, to be right, even in the face of rebellion, God is pursuing you to experience his love. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. <laughs> then, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves her and as the Lord loves Israel. Though she turned to other gods and sacrificed to other gods, even, I don't know what this is, the sacred raisin cake. What's that all about? If David was here, we'd tell him he can't eat cakes anymore. There's a, there a sense really of, of, of this lifestyle that this prophet finds himself in that is so not what we would call a calling from God. <laughs> but he knew it was a calling from God. And his pursuit of his wife was speaking volumes into the people where he was saying to the people, people, listen. <laughs> You've gone away from God, but God is pursuing you. Even though you call yourself not my people, he's still calling you his people. Even though you don't love him, he's still loving you. And there's a pursuit of God after a rebellious generation. And if there's ever a word in today's that we need for this country, it's the pursuit of God for a rebellious generation. People have turned away from God. We can dress it up as much as you like. We know God's done everything that He needs to do to win their salvation and for them to enjoy relationship. But here, right here, right now is a picture of God going, I've done everything, yet you pursue rebellion. And you, you pursue the things of the world. Hmm. Do you know, after 2,000 years of an adulterous relationship with His people Israel, after 2,000 years, God is still looking now for all of His kids everywhere. He's still looking now. He's still looking now for us. In chapter 3, we, we, we read, or we hear the, the, see the picture of of Jesus, really, because Hosea mentions people. He says, people, will you not return to King David? Would you not return to King David? Well, King David had been dead for 200 years by this time. What he was trying to do is he's trying to paint them a picture of the common king. There's a common king. <laughs> it's not the dead king of 200 years ago, but the common king. And he's trying to paint them a picture. And, chapter, and, and the rest of the book, really, from chapter 3 onwards, is about judgment, oracles against sin and pride and arrogance and about God's judgment. But listen to chapter 6. Right the way throughout it all, there is, there is this stuff that comes in. Listen, chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us into pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us again. 
Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun rises, He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. You know, the book ends with a, with a calling from, to return, that God's people would return to Him. And even at the end of the book, God is still insistent on wooing and winning His people back with love. Isaiah 14 and verse 4 says, I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. (laughs) Wow. Jeremiah was told that he must not marry because of God's message. Ezekiel was told that he must marry a wife. But Hosea, he had a bit of a challenge. And he had to marry someone who would not return his love in the way that she should. He would marry someone who would sneak out at night and go and sell her body for money. Now listen, I want to just say something about his wife. I want to say this. That the, <laughs> be careful, Alan. it will be all right. The actual act of sex is the most intimate thing. We've lost that in today's culture because it's not become that in today's culture. It's become a thing that is quite often done without the intimacy that should be there with it. And actually, here's a picture that God is using about an unfaithful wife to say to his people, you're being unfaithful, and I want you to return to me. But he's not saying, I want you to return out of fear, even fear of the judgment. He's saying, I want, to return to, I want you to return to me because look how much I love you. Even though you leave at night and go and do your stuff in the morning, I'm going to put presents at the door for you. You see, it's a picture. It's a picture of the heart of God towards his people. It's a picture that that the Bible says, (laughs) that the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't die for you because you were a Christian. He died for you when you were a sinner. (laughs) Oh, I don't believe I'm a sinner. Do you not? (laughs) While we were yet afar off, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't have to win his approval. You already have his approval. But what he is requiring is that we turn and experience his covenant love for us. That we enter into the covenant relationship that he won for us. We enter into the marriage of God. And we stop our adulterous behavior. It's a tough message, isn't it? 
It's a tough message. I'm so pleased I wasn't Hosea and had to live it though. Ha. Where should I go with this? He was a prophet for 40 years. So this wasn't a five minute wonder. 40 years. Um, we read of the north and south, the kingdoms being divided. He was speaking to 10 of the tribes out of the 12. Hosea, um, his main message were you're heading for disaster. But, but again, the similarities. Do you know the problem that they had was things were so good. At, that, at this moment in time in their history, things were so good. It actually says that they've never had it so good since Solomon's time. And things were really good. But they'd become a people that God, our God, the God of gods, had become a God among many other gods. They'd abandoned themselves to the one only true God and went, this is so good, let's have a few gods. Let's pollute it. Let's have a bit of religion thrown in. Let's have a few of these gods that help us in our perversion of sexual activity. Let's, let's have a few of them thrown in as well. But do you know what? The grass was green at this time. And in comes a prophet when everything's going well and goes, God's wanting to win you back. And they're going, what are you talking about? Look, it's brilliant. <laughs> everything's really well. And isn't that not true of today? Yeah. Most of the people here in this land anyway would go, isn't things all right? Isn't it good? Aren't we doing well? How many of us would be willing to stand in a place where God would humiliate us for the sake of the message? Well, that's what happened to Hosea. He was humiliated among men, not God. For the sake of the message that he would carry. Know what it's like to be loved without performance. Hosea did not say to his wife, if you change, I will love you. He says, I'm going to love you to the point of change. He didn't say to his wife, Change and I'll love you. He says, I'm going to love you to the point of change. Listen, there were times that he separated himself from her. There were times that he challenged her. All of that's in there. Read the book. It's a good book. But Hosea ultimately was willing to demonstrate a love that God had given him for his wife despite her willingness to return to her old job. <laughs> this is going to get tricky. Ah. <laughs> Huh. Let me tell you this. I'm going I'm to finish because I want to play a song and we're going to, I hope, receive some of God's love today. I had a picture. It's a very simple picture. But it's a picture of a dove. It's not a lovely picture. But it's in a net. <laughs> And when we understand God truly, when we understand truly God's love for us, when we understand His covenantal agreement to love us, 
when we understand that that is the best place to live life from, we become free from the net. And as I looked at this net, I've seen things on the net like performance. I've even seen religion going to church. There, there, there are things within that net that will, that will prevent us from fully engaging in the understanding of the covenantal love that God has for us. And when you stop performing for God, it'll be a good day. Because you know what? He's more interested in relationship than performance. He says it in the book of Hosea. Don't come to me with your performances. I want relationship. I want this. We can do that. It's there for us. Whatever situation you find yourself in, I want you to ask God that you'll enter the Sabbath rest and receive again His love afresh. That, that we stop trying and begin to allow that love, His love, to, to make us more like our dad. <laughs> because when you're loved by someone, you become like them. Just look at who you hang out with. You become more like them. And I've got caricatures of my earthly dad right here in my DNA, but also in how I walk out life. And I'm just saying when we experience the love of God, the covenantal love of God, the real love of God, it will change us to be more like our dad. It's a simple message, but it's a tough call for poor Hosea. 